our Bibles uh, to the book of James. We'll be in chapter four this morning. So if you're using one of the copies of God's indestructible word that we've provided for you uh, in the rows, that'll be page 1013 there this morning. Well, uh, if you are new to Redemption Hill, you may not know that this week is our Serve Medford week. So uh, we have supporting churches that have served us, prayed for us, supported us financially uh, since we have been here in Boston, uh, who have joined us this week to love and serve our city. Uh, so we have a few more people this week than we would on a normal Sunday in the summer. Uh, so I hope that you'll have an opportunity to meet them and uh, that you can encourage them and pray for them as they're serving with us to make a difference as we seek the welfare and flourishing of our city. Uh, we believe that God is going to do big work through us this week, and uh, we should pray for that. We should expect it, and we should work toward it, okay? So let's join together uh, to see what God can do in and through us this week. Um, this morning, as we jump into the book of James, I want us to think about this idea of usefulness, okay? We live in a get-it-things-done kind of world. We live in a culture that values getting things accomplished. And Boston is a get-things-done kind of city, right? I mean, people come from all over the world to, to live, to study, to work in Boston so that they can not just simply, um, you know, do a decent job in their professional field, but so that they can excel, so that they can flourish, so that they can be used in their profession to their maximum capacity. And so we can think about uh, huge things like our professional pursuits, or we can just think about the most common mundane things in our lives. We all value usefulness. I mean, how many of you this week, I'm suppose maybe a few of you watch television. Some of, who, who picked up the remote control and said, you know what, I hope this thing doesn't work uh, today so I can, you know, walk back and forth from the TV to my seat, you know, on the couch or recliner or whatever, um, because, you know, that would just be more convenient. No, we want the remote to work, right? I mean, same thing with breakfast this morning. Who woke up and pulled out your toaster, set it on the counter and said, you know what, I, I hope that this toaster will burn my bread yet again uh, so that I can, you know, it's like, we're not, we're not doing that, right? And it's like, we value that which fulfills its design, that which is useful. And the Bible tells a story of a God who has wired us, has designed us to value that which fulfills its original purpose. We want to see that which will, will uh, fulfill and flourish with the purposes for which it is designed for. And let me share with you this morning, this is true of our lives as well. You see, God's story says that God made each of us and he made each of us for a particular purpose to know him, to love him, to live our lives for him, to be used by him and for him in the ways that he intends. This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. 
And so as we dive into God's word this morning, let me ask you one simple question. Is your life producing the results God intends for you? You see, James wants to take us into the heart of God so that we will live our lives so devoted to him that we can not only know him and love him, but part of that knowing and loving him will be that we might be used for his purposes in the world. You see, there was a pastor in the 18th century. His name was Jonathan Edwards. Some people call him America's greatest theologian. He penned a series of about 70 resolutions, most before he was the age of 20, And as we read these resolutions, most of them seem quite radical to us. Like, man, Jonathan, are you like, are you serious? This is what you're committing your life to? But I want you to think about this. Jesus would look at these and you say, what, you know what? That's normal Christianity. This is the life that God desires for us. So look at this resolution, resolution 43. He penned this when he was 19 years old. He said this, I resolve never henceforward from this moment till I die to act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and all together God's. See, what Edwards is saying is from this point in my life, all the way until I die, I want my life to be entirely given to God for his glory. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, living our lives as though they are all for him. Now, as we think about giving our entire lives to God, we, as the fallen people we are, are usually guilty of two crimes in this area. Okay, I want you to think about this. Number one, many of us today, if we're being honest, you just kind of look in the mirror of your life, many of us today would say, you know what, I'm just not sure if God desires to use me. So on the one hand, we fail to believe that God wants to use us. I mean, sure, God, you probably want to use other people. They seem like they have it all together, but not me. And let me just refute that by saying, if God sent his own son to die on the cross for us, to bring us back to God, how could we conclude that he would just allow us, want us to kind of chill out in a state of uselessness in our lives. That does not add up, right? So number one, do you believe that God wants to use you? That's where some people fail, but some people believe that, and yet the second failure is that we fail to fulfill our kingdom potential that God is placing in us by his good grace. And so this morning, are you believing that God wants to use you where he has placed you in your life? And are you striving by his grace to fulfill the potential that he has placed within you to use you for his glory? This is what James wants to address this morning. He's going to give us a very simple message, okay? And that is this, commit your entire life to God in humble devotion and watch what he will do. You got that? 
Commit your entire life to God in humble devotion and watch what he will do. We saw last week that James 4 is a call to repentance, okay? That's a a biblical word that means we think God's thoughts and we turn from the life that we were living so that we might live it for God. And you saw that how that, man, the, 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 the people of James scattered church as they were scattered out from Jerusalem into Judea, they had need to return to God because they had all of these issues going on. They were showing partiality when people came in to their church gatherings. They were speaking evil of one another. They were not loving one another, but they were being ruled by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in their hearts. And so James, in very strong terms last week, said, look, if you consistently live your life apart from God and his will for you, you are actually committing spiritual adultery, and you are a rebel against God. Pretty strong words, pretty hard words for us to receive. But verse 5, I hope you memorize those five words. Start by saying, but he gives more grace. You see, if if you are awakened to the fact that you were made for God and you haven't been living for God, the good news is that God gives grace so that we might return to him and live our lives for him. And so now today, James is going to help us see what this kind of return looks like. What does it look like to give our entire lives to God? And in rapid fire succession, He is going to give about 10 imperatives, 10 clear calls to live in this particular kind of way in verses 7 through 10. I want us to read those together this morning. James writes, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The simple instruction from these seven verses is simply to submit your life to God completely. Submit your life to God completely. You say, well, well what, is, what does James mean when he starts talking about submission? That's a, that's a word that we don't feel too comfortable with in our culture. What does James mean? And he means this. It, it's living under the rightful authority of God's wisdom and will for our lives. So someone that, that sees who God is and, and, and how worthy he is of our allegiance and affection will come to God and say, God, look, you know what is best. I don't. Therefore, I'm going to follow your ways and not mine. It's as simple as that. But notice that this takes humility. You see, verse 7, there's this word, therefore, which points us back to what James had just said in verse 6, where he says, God opposes what? The proud, those who lift themselves up, but he gives grace to the humble. And some of you may be thinking, you know, well, Tanner, that's good news for me because, you know, I'm a pretty humble person. You know, in fact, you know, man, don't you, don't you know me? I'm like, I'm so low. I'm so lowly way down here that I can't even see you up there, man. I'm like, just like this humble 
This is how I've lived my life. Anybody kind of thinking that? Like, if you're thinking that, you're probably not very humble, okay? <laughs> probably living your life with a little bit of pride, but, but let me just give you the benefit of the doubt here, okay? And, and let's suppose that, that you are a fairly humble person, at least that's your self-assessment. Well, well let me just say this. You say, I'm, I'm humble? I'll just say, we'll see. Time will tell. Let's look at your life next Thursday, next month, a year from now, and we'll see if you're a humble person because the humble person lives their life according to God's intentions. You might say, man, I'm humble. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to you know, practice humility in my life, but if you consistently disregard God's intention for your life, your humility is just a figment of your imagination. So God says, look, Submission to me starts with a humble heart, a proper view of ourselves. Being a doer of the word will be uncovered when we have a pattern of humility that flows from our lives. And you see, the central confession of the Christian is Jesus is Lord, right? So so God wants 100% of our commitment, not 90, not 95 He wants us to live an all-day, everyday kind of life, right? This is what we've been looking at in our series through the book of James. And so some of you may be here today, and maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not yet a believer and follower of, of Jesus Christ. You might say, you know what, Tanner, like, Submitting my life to God and his authority and the very details of my life, it, it, it just seems so, it sounds so restrictive. Man, how could, how could anyone ever do that with their life? Well, let me, just, let me just point out two things, okay? Number one, I think that is somewhat hypocritical based on the way that we live our life in other areas of our life, Right? I mean, no one has a problem going to the gym and talking to the the personal trainer or, you know, like meeting with an experienced supervisor at your work or going to the geniuses at the Apple store and, you know, like getting their wisdom and counsel on these particular areas. We gladly submit to counsel in those areas, to their authority in those areas. So why is it then given a belief in the existence of God, which most people believe, by the way, that we would say, God, you know what, man? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, even though you know everything about me and everything about the world that we live in, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say for my life. It's a bit inconsistent and possibly hypocritical. But then number two, and this is what I've found in my own life, and I hope if you're a Christian, you have found this too. The more I submit my life to God, the more I find true freedom and true flourishing in my life. And so God says, look, submit your life to me in all things. And so how do we do that? Well, James gives us three ways in verses eight and nine, okay? Number one, he says, resist the devil. Who is the devil? Well, the devil is a spiritual being who leads all demonic forces, opposes God, and seeks to destroy God's people. So we shouldn't be surprised when James says, resist him. So how do we resist him? Well, let me give you just three practical ways, encouragements. Number one, we should know the devil's schemes. We should know his schemes. Many people live their life 
as though Satan doesn't exist. And you know, I mean, he loves that. Why does he love it? Because he feeds on, he lives on lies and deception. So if we aren't even thinking that he is there, we are probably not aware of all of the ways that he is trying to trip us up and deceive us. He makes us allured after wicked things that appear to be good and empty things that appear to be satisfying. And so we have to know that the devil is, okay, not that we're constantly concerned about him being everywhere and showing up, you know, and like the, the breakfast that we ate, they gave us a stomach ache, oh, that's like, you know, it's not that. But we realize that he is there, that he is out to, to, to trip us up. So therefore, we must arm ourselves. We must put on the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. We must understand that life is a constant battle, that to experience peace with God is to be at constant war with Satan. Which then leads me to my third encouragement. Let's then go on the offensive. Okay, resisting may at times be faced with a temptation and we flee from that, but this is not the only way that we resist the devil. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense, right? I mean, Sun Tzu said that in his book, The Art of War, okay? And some coaches today also subscribe to that philosophy, all right? So, so the church of Jesus Christ is not just kind of sitting back in this kind of cowardly stance as if we do not have all of the resources of God at our disposal. So I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, when he's commending his ministry to the Corinthians, he says, look, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. How, Paul? By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities. By purity, knowledge, truthful speech, and the power of God. With what? With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. This is what the Christian has. We have divine weapons to attack the forces of darkness. So we hold on to God's word and we are devoted to God and we give our lives to him every day. And the church that Jesus talks about in Matthew 16, when he says, you know, Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That picture is not a defensive picture, but it is an offensive picture. The church is on the advance. We are storming the gates of hell, conquering for Christ as he works in and through us. So resisting the devil then is a way that we submit ourselves to God. But that's not all. James continues and he says, look, not only resist the devil, but on the flip side, draw near to God. You see, we resist the devil's lies and we believe God's truth. It's not enough to say no to temptation without saying yes to godliness. And so I want us to think about this in two ways, okay? Sometimes we think in purely kind of pietistic or, or kind of, you know, devotional terms, but it's, it's more than that, okay? It's, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. So from two angles, how do we draw near to God? One way we draw near to God includes that, our devotional pursuit of Him. All right, what am I talking about? I'm talking about coming to God in prayer. 
Not simply out of routine or not in desperation, you know, like these trials come and these difficult moments come and then all of a sudden we're, you know, like going to God in prayer, but, but actually going to God in prayer because he's our father, because we love him. Does this characterize your life, your devotional pursuit of God? What about coming to the word? Is the word, as Christ says, your spiritual food? This is what we live on. It sustains us in our souls. What about worship? Do you love to come together with the people of God so that we can express praise to God on a regular basis? Some of you might be here today and you say, oh man, I like Tanner, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it today. Like that, that song that we sang, man, that was new. I didn't really like that because I didn't know it. Some of you, I mean, anybody ever thought this? Yeah, I know you did. Um, what about, man, that sermon was stale. I hope you aren't going to say that today. All right. But, but, but let's just, so, so when we have these thoughts, what's going on more than likely is that you have a person, and listen, I've been there, okay? I've been there. You have a person that came to worship on Sunday, but they were failing to worship Monday through Saturday. And so what's happening is it's not what's going on with the people or the preaching or the music and the playing. It's really a self-centered and stale heart. So how are we drawing near to God? These rhythms of grace. Man, God has made himself available to us. He wants to meet with us. He wants us to pray. He wants us to, to go to him in his word. He wants us to worship every chance we get. We can never come to him enough. He is always there, always ready, anytime throughout our day. We have to take advantage of these rhythms of grace that he gives us. But, but that is not all, okay? Because sometimes we think draw near to God and it's just our devotional pursuit of him. But it also, listen, it also includes our devotional living for him. For him. So you say, what do you mean by this, Tanner? I mean, like when you wrap up here today and you're out at lunch hanging out with your friends or family or whoever it may be, it's like when you spoke a kind word to your friends or family, like that's a way we draw near to God. When you show mercy, that is a way we draw near to God. Whatever good deed that you may perform, serving others, loving others, these are all ways that we practically draw near to God. And don't miss what James says in verse eight. He says, as you draw near to God, what happens? God draws near to you, which then becomes this kind of holy cycle of devotion where we draw near to God and he draws near to us. And then as we experience this intimacy and relationship and fellowship with God, we just want more of him so we continue to draw near to him. So prayerfully, we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 28, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. We resist the devil. We draw near to God. And then James continues in even maybe stronger terms in verse 8, and he says this, you should seek comprehensive holiness in your life. Look at what he says at the end of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. 
referring to what people can see, our, our, our actions, our, our sinful uh, deeds. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, the, 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 the work of our hands, that's what other people can see, but our hearts, that's only what God can see. Your thoughts, your affections, your motives. Only God can see all of those areas. And so surely by now you have learned that we have the capacity to do the right things in the wrong ways. But God desires so much more from us. He wants us to do the right things in the right ways, have clean hands, but also a pure heart. And so I hope if, if you were with us last week, you were already uh, putting this two-word question over everything that you do, where we simply ask this two-word question, for who? Everything we do, we wake up and we devotionally pursue God in his word and we pray, we come to worship, for who? We engage in good deeds, we go clean parks and we go spend time with, with people that no one else wants to spend time with and, and we speak that encouraging word that builds someone else's up instead of tearing them down. For who? Why did we do those things? See, we should put these two words over our actions that we're about to do, and we should evaluate everything we do with these two words as well so that we can drill down and see a heart that is purified, devoted to God. And the beautiful thing is this, is, is that when we do that, we will reveal that we have single-minded devotion, not double-minded, kind of vacillating between friendship with the world and love for God, but we will be living our lives completely loyal to God and his purposes for us. So what James does then is, is he goes on and, and he continues to press, okay? Hear these words, reflect on these words. He presses for true repentance. He says what? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So what James is saying is, look, in light of the holiness of God, and in light of how sinful we are in comparison to God's holiness, there should be times when we see how we do not measure up, when we see how prideful we can be and how lustful we can be and how we covet what other people have and how we want to tear others down so we can build ourselves up, which doesn't work out anyway. We should be so broken at times, inwardly, that at times we externally weep and mourn over our sin. So let me just ask you a really tough question this morning. When is the last time, when is the last time you shed a single tear over your brokenness and sin before God? When was the last time? God is so holy and he has so much for us that when we see ourselves in light of who he is and we see all of this that comes out of our hearts, we should at times tuck ourselves away and go and seek God's transformation in true repentance. And Jesus says these words in the Sermon on the Mount. As we looked at last week, as blessed are the poor in spirit for there's a kingdom of heaven when we see our emptiness before God and his sufficiency, the next then what are called beatitudes is this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are those who see, who, who mourn over their sinful condition. God will comfort them and restore them and bring them back into unbroken fellowship with himself. So verse 10 then gives the encouraging result of all of this. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You got that? We, we die to ourselves in the kingdom of Christ in order that we may live. We be first, I mean, we, we're last, excuse me, so that we can be first. We give ourselves away so that we can gain it all. We humble ourselves before God so that we might be exalted in not the eyes of everyone else, but exalted in his eyes. This is the upside down kingdom of Jesus Christ. So do you see here, it's, it's humility. Submit yourselves then to, therefore to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will use you in your life for his glory. Then number two, submit your life to God by loving your neighbor with your words. James continues in verse 11 and he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. And so James continues his encouragement on how we treat one another and how we use our speech. And he says, do not speak evil against one another. You say, well, I mean, this kind of sounds serious. It sounds um, pretty, pretty extreme. What is James talking about? Well, I think perhaps he's talking about when we slander others, when we tear others down with our words, when we criticize them with kind of a haughty spirit that, that's, that puts ourselves over them and looks down on them. It could be referring to condemning someone by standing over them in judgment. Whatever the case may be, it's, it's clear there is some kind of verbal attack against a brother or sister in Christ. And James says, look, this should not characterize your family relationships. Family should be characterized by love. And some of you, you know, kind of astute listeners might say, you know, Tanner, we're talking about giving our lives all for God, and now we're just starting to talk about how we talk about one another. Like, what does this have to do with God? And I would say it has everything to do with God, and James just told us in two ways, okay? Number one, when we speak evil against one another, we are failing to love our neighbor as ourselves. James would call this in chapter two, verse eight, the royal law. This is fulfilling the royal law. What God wants for, from us is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And most of the time, as someone has pointed out, this does not happen in kind of uh, the black and white issues in our life. It's more of the gray areas, okay? We're critical of, you know, the way that other people spend their money. You know what I'm saying? You ever criticize someone about that? Maybe the way that they parent, Maybe even, okay, let's just get, you know, not too superficial here, but this is where we live, right? Or just like how they dress, you know? I mean, they're dressing like that because they want to be cool. They're dressing like that because they want to be like me. 
So we tear others down. We, we, we speak these evil words against one another and consequently fail to love our neighbor. But then number two, we, and this is serious, we subtly take the place of God. We usurp the place of God on the throne of our lives and the lives of others. And I can't say it any more clearly than James says it in verse 12 where he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. God alone is qualified to judge. He alone knows the thoughts and motives of our hearts. He will render the final verdict at the proper time. And so let's allow God to do the work that he has reserved for himself. And let's, instead of judging our brother and speaking evil against our brother or sister and neighbor in Christ, let's love our brother or sister by speaking words that build them up. So James, in these six verses, with a flurry of strong exhortations, he calls people to return to God, to live their lives entirely for God, and this is what he is calling us to this morning as well. So as you've heard God's word today, and you're reflecting on your own life, would you say, yes, I am striving by God's grace to consistently submit myself to God, to consistently resist the devil and draw near to God, to consistently seek comprehensive holiness, even though I fail so many times, though a righteous person falls six times, he rises again. Is this you this morning, or do you in some way need to return to God? Do you in some way need to, to, to see your sin and tuck away and mourn over that sin and return back to God? You see, this week we are on the, the brink of our Serve Medford week. In fact, Serve Medford started yesterday. A crew from Redemption Hill went to Car Park in Medford and, and worked with some city workers to make some improvements there around the playground. And we're going to do a lot of work in the city, a lot of good work. We're going to volunteer here at the Boys and Girls Club like we've done for the past four years. We're going to work with the Medford Housing Authority, put on kids programming for um, the, the residents there, and, and we're going to collect food items and clothing items and distribute it to families in need. We're going to go work with senior citizens and develop relationships right here in Medford Square. We're going to bless our businesses in the city and serve them in ways that they have listed out for us. Hey, we could really use this, this, and this in our business. We're just going to go in and show the love of Christ. And you say, well, Tanner, what is then the connection between our humble devotion to God and our serving God this week? And there are two inextricable, inseparable connections between devotion to God and living on mission with God and for God. You say, what are those? Number one, there's a connection between our devotion and our deeds. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2? He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, do you see that that's devotion? He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for every good work to the master of the house. That's our deeds. 
There is a connection between our devotion to God and our deeds for God. And that's what we want to do this week. We want to display the gospel through the way that we live our lives, through the acts of service and love. We love because he first loved us. We serve because Christ has served us richly and generously in the gospel, in his death and resurrection on our behalf. You say, but that's, that's not all. Not only is there a connection between our devotion and deeds, there's also a connection between our devotion and our declaration. You remember Psalm 73, verse 28? What did the psalmist say? But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. That's devotion. But what? I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. That's declaration. So do you get it? When we submit our lives to God in humble devotion, we are laying the foundation for him to use us and to work in our lives in such a way that we will display the gospel through our deeds and we will declare the gospel through our words. And this is how God builds a church that begins to, little by little, one day at a time, one week at a time, one year at a time, transforms a city and shines his light in the world so that people in Medford might what? See our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is what Sir Medford is about. That's what this week is about. That's what every week of our lives is about. So let's continue, by God's good grace, to strive to live out our faith all day, every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to rescue us. Lord, you have given us more grace. Grace upon grace has arrived in the person and work of your son. So Father, I pray for my friends in this room who have yet to trust in Christ as their savior, that they would see that that there is nothing better than giving their lives over to God in humble devotion all the days of their life. So Lord, I pray that you would draw every person here now, whether for the first time or from, for, for the thousandth time to submit our lives in devotion to you that we might show others how good and glorious and famous Jesus is. Lord, would you use us this week as we go throughout our city, as we seek to display the gospel, as we seek to declare the gospel, Lord, would you use us as instruments in your hands that bring you much glory. Lord, this is all to point to your greatness and your goodness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.